are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. everybody welcome into another episode of the locked on vikings podcast part of locked on podcast network your team every day before we get started today i just want to shout out the locked on fantasy football podcast where Vinny Iyer did a full-on mock draft for fantasy 12 teams 17 rounds the whole bit went over it for over like two weeks on his podcast go check that out get an edge on your league i am your host your pal in the Katie copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. I got a couple of great story time series entries for you today. Uh, James Lynch and Wap Filer on the docket today. But first, I want to have a little discussion. This is inspired by uh, Will Raggett's over at SI. He posted a poll that said, uh, if you get both of them in their prime, who would you rather have? Adrian Peterson or Dalvin Cook? This is exactly the kind of summer crap that uh, just, I don't know, gets you thinking when there's nothing else going on. So let's talk about it a little bit, because I think there is something relevant we can take from it, other than just like the fun of arguing about then versus now. Um, but I think there might be something we can kind of glean about the modern NFL by like going through this thought experiment. So my answer, I think, is pretty handily Adrian Peterson. And I think just because it, Adrian Peterson in his prime and, you know, call it 2012, probably his prime. That was the 2000 the, the yard season. Um, you could also probably talk like 2008, 2009, you know, early Adrian Peterson, also kind of his prime. But what I think makes 2012, in addition to being a more productive season, what makes it more impressive is that he was doing it when teams knew about it. And he was kind of famous for having success against eight and maybe even nine man boxes in not unlike the way that like Derrick Henry has success now. Um, but really stylistically, there's a difference here. So let's for now just pretend that Dalvin Cook and Adrian Peterson are the same caliber. And I don't think they are. I think Adrian Peterson's a Hall of Famer and Dalvin Cook, if his career ended right now, would be a Hall of Very Good kind of guy. He's got some work to do yet. And Adrian Peterson has had like a 15 year career. So like, yeah. And honestly, my answer to the question kind of just ends there. But stylistically, there's something to be said. And, and a lot of the replies to Will's poll were about that. Were about like, well, you know, in today's NFL, I'd rather have, you know, somebody who fits in a more zone scheme kind of thing versus, you know, Adrian Peterson's a little too old school. He was the eye formation, run up the gut kind of famine, famine, feast guy. And there was something about that that got a little frustrating down the end. You know, 2015, 2016, the end of uh, the Vikings time with Adrian Peterson was that, you know, the, the Vikings would have to go through quite a few bad plays to get to the good one. You'd get kind of one yard run, one yard run, two yard run, two yard run. You might even throw away a whole drive, but then he'd score a touchdown on the next one from 60 yards out. And you would say, okay, that's worth it. And I don't think by the end it was really worth it. Um, I think in a different NFL, in a different metagame, you know, back in 2010, it was a different NFL where that kind of thing was a little more warranted, a little more common. And because it was a little more common, uh, you weren't, you know, you weren't putting yourself at such a disadvantage as if you were to do something like that now, which I don't think anybody in the league really is anymore. If they're going to run the ball, they're running the ball, you know, with the intent to have a successful play at minimum um, and, you know, at, at, at maximum, maybe get a few more yards than that. But they're designed a lot more to get four or five yards and be a more sustained thing where these I formation kind of ISO power runs 
were very much like man on man, just block a guy, get two yards, because eventually Adrian Peterson's going to make somebody miss or do something crazy. You're going to get a great fullback lead block, uh, and he's going to house one of these, and it's just going to be worth it that you... Uh, you know, wasted all that time. On the contrary, Dalvin Cook's game is very finesse. You know, when I see these, like these could could not be two more opposite running backs to me. Adrian Peterson would lower his shoulder and he'd crush you when he hit contact. He always fought for that extra yard or two. Sometimes that got you in trouble when it came to fumbles. Uh, but, you know, that was, that was his game, was that he was always so good at finding a way to fall forward for two, three extra yards, and that always just added up so often. Dalvin Cook isn't trying to, I mean, when you've got him and he's in the gap he's supposed to be, uh, you know, he's not necessarily trying to fall forward. He's trying to make you miss. And that has its pros and cons. But Dalvin Cook's whole game is as I call it a slalom ski kind of thing where his feet are very dynamic, but his hips and his head kind of stay on a swivel. So he can sort of navigate very tightly around people. Um, and that allows him to do very fluid things that require a lot of agility, even though he doesn't have that tested agility, he can still play with functional agility where he can kind of set up a run to one side of a blocker. Talked about this a lot. If a lineman is two gapping or responsible for two gaps, you can kind of uh, attack toward one gap to get that lineman to, uh, you know, sort of cheat over into the gap he thinks you're attacking. And then at the last second, kind of drift over into the other gap and suddenly you've made that guy irrelevant. You can do that really well with linebackers. That's kind of how Delvin Cook went on off the way that he did against Green Bay in the Lambeau game in 2020 um, and the game where he scored like four touchdowns. A lot of those plays were setting up linebackers uh, in, in that kind of same way when the, the Green Bay Packers asked both their rookie linebackers to two gap basically and, and Dalvin Cook could sort of take advantage of that. But I think even in this modern era, I think Adrian Peterson would sort of zig where everybody else's defenses are zagging. You know, everybody says nickel is your base now. Everybody's 4-2-5, whether you're a 3-4 or a 4-3 defense. Really, you got four linemen, two linebackers, and five defensive backs, kind of always, or three, three, five if you're going, you know, three linemen, three linebackers, and that's kind of the deal. But either way, everybody's getting a little smaller. Everybody's getting a little faster to try to keep up with these spread, these wide zone, all these like more finesse based offenses. So I think if you did come out and you brought just like an old school Adrian Peterson offense, if you brought out like the 2009 offense, right? Um, not even with Brett Favre, just the 2009 rushing offense, or screw it, the 2012 rushing offense with Jerome Felton, Steve Hutchinson, John Sullivan, you know, Phil Lodeholt in his prime. Yeah, put that offense in today's NFL, and I bet you get a pretty good rushing offense just by virtue of teams not really putting as much effort into their third linebacker as they used to, um, putting a lot more in, you know, smaller nickel corners that are going to get blown out by tight ends and more fullback stuff and all that stuff. And with the nature of Adrian Peterson, who to this day, even in his old age, was jump cutting people. I mean, he jump cut the Vikings pretty good a couple times in their matchup a couple years ago. Um, that's why I take Adrian Peterson. I think he kills this this current NFL metagame because, I mean, it would be difficult to build that over time. So it's not like an NFL team can just run out and do that. You know, you'd have to build it over time. And then that investment, you'd kind of suck in the meantime. But let's not forget the greatness of prime Adrian Peterson. Dalvin Cook is phenomenal. And he's one of my favorite players I've ever watched on the Vikings. But he's got a little bit of mountain left to climb. So we got a couple of great story time series entries coming up for you. But first, let's talk about Grambling. The Bucks and Suns are underway. Suns take game one. If you think the Bucks can come back, 
or if you think that the Suns are going to close it out even faster now, you can make that wager at betonline.ag. Your one-stop shop for all things Grambling. You can bet on what's left of the NBA or NHL, both those championship series. You can bet WNBA, MLB, or even off-season sports like the NFL. You can bet futures and stuff, award shows, reality TV, politics even sometimes. You can bet on whatever at BetOnline. Just go to betonline.ag, set up an account. That's free to do. And when you actually make your first deposit, you can even get some free play money if you enter promo code locked on L O C K E D O N. They will match half of your first deposit, a 50% free play welcome bonus. That means if you put in, say, a thousand bucks for your first deposit, you get 1500 bucks to gramble with by entering promo code locked on, all one word, at betonline.ag. Your online sportsbook experts. In American culture, sports has this sort of grounding presence and obviously in other cultures too i mean you know with soccer and all that i mean look at the, the excitement over like the EuroLeague. but in american culture there's such a show must go on air about football anything can happen a, a global pandemic can sweep the globe but damn it we're still having an nfl season and there's something kind of grounding about that there's something sort of eternal and, and comforting in that uh you know if ever there were a time to just shut a program down and just say, you know what, let's nuke the whole thing and let's just, you know, cut our losses while we can. It was at Baylor University in 2015. You've heard of this scandal. We don't need to go through the details, but it permeated the entire Baylor Baylor Bears football team. There were several sexual and non-sexual assault cases. Um, It showed this like super broken flat frat culture. It had uh, seeped into every corner of the program. It wasn't like a one-off thing. It was very clearly like a broken program and everything fell apart the university president is resigned the head coach who uh was going on like i think mo- the better part of a decade with baylor his contract was terminated the whole operation gets completely cleaned out and by the end of it they have like no coaching staff they've got like 45 players under scholarship you need over 100 to get to the season so they've got a ton of players to get um all of this is happening dangerously close to national signing day and that is the situation that matt rule inherits. And one of the first places he goes to where he starts his search to to reconstruct this program from the ashes is a, a high school just outside Austin, Texas, Round Rock High School, where there is this athletic defensive lineman slash linebacker by the name of James Lynch, who was somehow still on the market and hadn't committed anywhere. And the story of that is a long and arduous one in its own right. His first love, James Lynch's, was Nebraska. Since he was a kid, he loved the Nebraska corn Cornhuskers. His uh, dad, Tim Lynch, played for Nebraska, linebacker for Nebraska, so they were a Nebraska Cornhuskers family. They would gather around the TV every Saturday. James Lynch grew up obsessed with the Cornhuskers. His middle name is Husker. He is James Husker Lynch because of how much this team loves Nebraska. That is real. That is a legal and binding fact about James Lynch. So when it was time to start looking at colleges, James Lynch goes to a uh, summer football camp in Nebraska, and he is like, I will commit to you on the spot. He makes it known that, like, look, I am here. This is my number one priority school. I want to be here. But no scholarship comes. They must not have liked him. So he has to turn his talents elsewhere. Texas Christian comes around, and he actually commits to TCU that next spring, like May. And in a meeting, they're like, hey, we're moving you to offensive line, by the way. They just kind of spring it on him. And uh, he he had played some offense before. That wasn't abnormal to James Lynch. He played some tight end. He even played some punter in high school. He was like a dynamic, you know, two-way athlete. But he felt uh, misled was the way that one of the articles uh, that I did for research on this put it. He felt misled. And he was like, that's uncool. So he decommitted 
and he went back on the market. Uh, then he gets an offer from USC. So he goes to USC, tours the campus, he falls in love, and he commits to USC. But dangerously late in the process, like mid-December, USC finds out that James Lynch had a partially torn labrum and had had surgery to fix it. And they pull his scholarship because they didn't want to deal with the recovery of that. So here's James Lynch, homeless. Here's Matt Rule looking for players. And Matt Rule goes to a late season game for Round Rock and watches this young, athletic, somehow available defensive lineman with the weight of an entire program's reputation foisted upon him, both parties kind of scrambling. And so it kind of is a match made of heaven. Lynch also knew one of Rule's new coaching hires. His name was Sean Bell, who was hired from a nearby school. They had a relationship. But really what got James Lynch was James Rule or Matt Rule's honesty. You know, remember, he had been kind of upset by these like murky exchanges of information about what position you're going to play. And then, you know, what's what are we going to do if you're hurt? That kind of thing. And Matt Rule said, look, I want an NFL gig. And that's why I'm taking this job, because I think it's a good way to an NFL gig, which would turn most players off. You know, that's like, are you going to be loyal to me? Are you going to leave in the middle of my time here? Should I really be following you? But James Lynch kind of said, OK, this guy's a straight shooter. I get it. You know, I want to go to the NFL, too. So sure. Um, so he goes to Baylor. And that first year, 2016 Baylor was an absolute catastrophe. They were one and 11. It's kind of hard to, to get anywhere in your first year. Uh, most understood that it was a rebuild year, but it's, you know, it was hard for, for Matt Rule and, and, you know, the freshman class that he had brought in to take over the culture that the, the last guy had uh, left behind. There were a lot of juniors and seniors that didn't really believe in the new guy and people didn't buy in. And one of the first people to buy in was James Lynch, who didn't get a whole lot of playing time in his freshman year. But slowly but surely, as his time at Baylor went along, people kind of followed his lead. And he found himself by the end of his time there as kind of a leader and one of the biggest cheerleaders for Matt Rule. There's a whole bunch of great anecdotes, but the way that James Lynch puts it says, you know, that J Matt Rule, he came in, he was tough on us, he made us tough. He talks about a gladiator mentality, this idea that you, know, you get in a game and we're locked in here with you and you're locked in here with us and we're not leaving till somebody's defeated. And, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, win or die mentality that there's no escape mentality uh, that makes you resilient, makes you tough. All I can do is beat these guys up. There's no retreat. You know, fight to the last man, almost militaristic. And he, he relishes that toughness and he relishes that Matt Rule made him tough. There's even this great moment where they uh, had gotten waxed by Oklahoma State during their really bad season. And in the locker room afterwards, Matt Rule was like, Two years, we're going to come back here and we're going to beat them. And in that matchup two years later, after a rough first half, they come out, they absolutely blow them out in the second half. It's not even close. And this it's this sort of uh, this moment, like we've fixed the program, this solidifying, vindicating moment. And that year, uh, in prep for the bowl game, James Lynch starts thinking about declaring for the draft. And there's a little bit of buzz that Matt Rules may be going to the NFL as well. You know, he's talking to the Carolina Panthers. Um, and so he decides, all right, you're going to the NFL. I'm going to the NFL. And maybe Matt Rule might even draft him, right? And, and during the pre-draft pro uh, process, he actually gets to know John Randall. He gets kind of connected to the Vikings from there. So even though he doesn't end up with Matt Rule, he's still pretty stoked to get picked by those Vikings in the fourth round. Um, and of course, you know, his rookie year was quiet. He uh, didn't have the best camp. Um, and now he has to contend with a pretty crowded defensive tackle room that'll be tough to make the team in. You know, you have three spots, Pierce, Tomlinson, Sheldon, Richardson, basically locked in 
And you either have to be the fifth defensive lineman or you have to beat out Armin Watts, Jalen Twyman if he's healthy. You've got a couple of hungry defensive, uh, you got a couple of hungry undrafted free agents coming at you. So it's going to be a tough place for James Lynch to make that roster. And, and that kind of toughness, that hunger and that resilience is going to have to get him through a training camp that's going to have to go better than his last one. But I guess the theme of the day is going to be mentality because the mentality of WAP Filer is what I want to talk to you about next. But first, let's talk about your car. Your car is not necessarily as resilient. You can't fix that with the power of willpower. You're going to need some car parts, whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or somebody with a mechanic, but you only want to pay them for the labor, not necessarily the parts. You can go to rockauto.com. Just enter your make, your year, and your model. They will sort through their unbelievably expansive catalog and make sure they're getting a car part that is compatible with your specific vehicle and its specific needs. So you don't have to do any of that research on your own. Rock Auto has you covered. They've been doing this for like 15 years. They're a family business, and they're looking out for you. And that means they're not going to upsell you like retail places do, like the brick-and-mortar joints do. They're allowing you to purchase directly from the manufacturer and cut out that middleman. That's what makes Rock Auto beautiful. So head on over to rockauto.com and at checkout, make sure you let them know that Locked On sent you. Because if you don't, the bunnies will never stop chewing on the thing they're chewing on in the background that probably is all over the audio of this show. Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. I also want to talk to you about Built Bar. If you are late night snacky, or maybe it's after a workout, maybe even in the morning you need something to get you going, look no further than Built Bar. Tastes like a candy bar. It's absolutely delicious, covered in 100% chocolate, coming in a bunch of delicious flavors, nine of them regularly, cookies and cream, peanut butter brownie, chocolate mint brownie, chocolate raspberry, chocolate orange if you're into that, all sorts of delicious stuff, a couple of coconut ones. They also have some specialty flavors on their website as well. So keep an eye out on BuiltBar.com, but go buy a box for yourself at BuiltBar.com. You can enter promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5. You get 15% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 at BuiltBar.com. I have such a soft spot for players, often wide receivers and cornerbacks, with this particular brand of like unending confidence. The, the Steve Smith factor that Richard Sherman has, this Diggs had this. I often call it like a dog mentality, call it swagger, call it whatever you want. But Wapfiler has this weird intangible that I always fall in love with. Wapfiler was born in Tampa. Mr. His legal name is Mr. Elias D'Angelo Filer. And yes, the Mr. is part of it. Uh, so what's the deal with that? If you ask him, he says, I'm black and Cuban. So fair enough. Uh, he's the oldest of eight siblings, kind of. Uh, we'll get to the kind of in a second. He grew up most of his life, though, with his parents divorced. And when your parents are divorced, you sort of develop unique relationships with each of them. And his relationship with his mom and his relationship with his dad, very distinct things that are beautiful in their own way. As for the kind of, uh, Wap had an older brother that he never got to meet. Uh, he died in an accident tragically while his mom was pregnant with WAP. Um, and that sort of colored how the two of them parented. Everything they already agreed they were going to do got a little bit more intense. Everything got a, a little bit closer. And as the oldest, WAP Filer got a lot of that attention. And it, it's a lot of love. So 
let's talk about the name WAP, right? And you've probably heard that it's about Whoppers. So when he was with his dad as a kid, his dad didn't, wasn't a very good cook. So they would go to Burger King a lot. And his dad always got a big Whopper and kids meal for Mr. Elias D'Angelo. And Mr. kept bugging his dad and saying, ah, I want to eat the big boy burger. And his dad would kind of brush him off and say, no, no, you're not ready for that. You don't, you, you can't take the big boy burger. But one day his dad finally caves and gets in the big one. And to his surprise, Mr. finishes the whole thing. From that day, his dad would kind of call Call them Big Wop and Little Wop as a little duo. So Lil Wop, eventually he dropped the Lil and he was just Wop. And much to his mother's dismay, it stuck. Wop says he likes it. He says he doesn't know anybody named Wop. So, you know, I like it. And that is that weird confidence, that sense of identity, unwavering identity, and the assuredness in that identity, I think, is part of that dog mentality. The I am me, and nobody else gets to be me, and isn't that awesome? So now that story about Whoppers is a story he gets to tell when he meets everybody for the first time, and it makes him him. Um, so part of that intensity was came from his father, Daniel, was a semi-pro player in his own right and encouraged Wop to play football. Wop wanted to play baseball, but Daniel, with an intensity, said, no, you're playing football, and got him into to Pop Warner. And this would work out, obviously. Uh, in the first Pop Warner game, Wop housed a 75-yarder from the fullback position, and it was then that they knew that maybe there was something to this. Maybe he had something, right? But Wop, despite growing up the oldest, he was always the littlest in everything. He is, even today, 5'11 and 180, and he was always, always, always small. But don't you dare tell him that. Because he'll say, no, everybody who's little has little guy syndrome. I don't, I'm not little, you know? And he basically kind of like, in his heart, in his soul, he's not little. Again, that's that unwavering confidence. Yeah, I'm small, but I'm not little. But being small, he had to outwork everyone. And he got that, he says, from his mom. He's a healthcare worker and a hell of a worker. Growing up, the filers didn't have a lot. And there was a number of occasions where, and if you've listened to a football player story here and there if they come from little means a lot of times parent has to choose is my son eating or am i eating and of course his mom always picked the son and that sort of and and would you know work through it all and work you know go get up and go to work the next day and never miss a beat to make sure that wap never and wap and his sisters and his stepbrothers never had to worry about any of that stuff. And that work ethic will rub off on a kid. He says the first thing he's going to do when he gets his NFL checks is get his mom set up. Um, but anyways, when it came time for recruiting, he had a decent list of offers. He had like Syracuse, Arizona, Louisville was one, but he was always po pointed toward the University of Indiana in high school. His best friend was a kid named Thomas Allen, and his father, Tom Allen, is the head coach at the University of Indiana. So Tom Allen would end up watching a lot of football games at Plant High in Tampa, Florida. And there he uh, got to know a couple of Plant High, I think they were the Panthers, and actually recruited a few of them, including his son, of course, but also Wop Filer. So Wop gets an in invite to Indiana through this relationship, and he got on the field right away. But even that, you know, had its challenges, and you can kind of see it as one of the one times that Wop Filer's confidence wavered, because he was dealing with injuries, and he was buried on the depth chart, as freshmen usually are. And so his coaches actually came to him and said, hey, maybe we should think about redshirting you, so that you don't use a year of eligibility with this, like, injury-plagued being a backup season. Um, and that was, like, sacrilege to a guy like Wapfiler. Again, that that dog mentality, that confidence, you know, redshirt, wait, that's out of the question. You know, I play football, I'm playing football. I'm here to play football. Let's play football. And, and so he basically said, no, I'm not redshirting. And that turns out to be a pretty good 
uh, pretty good decision. Um, and he kind of talks about that. His his dad told him, you know, if you're small, you got to have the heart of a lion. Maybe that's another way to put that swagger, that dog mentality, you know, call it the heart of a lion. But no, he's not redshirting. And he gets in spot duty for the first few games until a 2017 game where the guy in front of him gets hurt versus Maryland and he comes on the field and he absolutely explodes. And from then on out, he's a fixture in the Indiana Hoosiers offense. Um, everybody talks about his infectious personality, uh, kind of a fun wide receiver room we've got here with Amir Smith-Marset's kind of a joker. You got Justin Jefferson, his bubbly personality, Adam Thielen's like weird big cousin giving you a noogie energy. And of course, Wap Filer. Uh, but during his time at Indiana, you talk to anybody who played with him, they'll all give you a different story that'll put a smile on your face. My favorite is the picture of him jumping on Tom Allen's back, which is like a move that only Watt Filer could get away with after a win. Uh, but still, that size problem never went away. 5'11", 180, and that's what haunts him through all of draft season, so he doesn't get drafted. And now he has to fly even further away from his home in Tampa and play in Minnesota, where he tries to make the Vikings. But I don't know, the love and support around him and, and that kind of mentality, it's really hard for me to bet against him in anything. As with all things, time will tell. He'll have to overcome BB and Ola B.C. Johnson, the latter of which will be a topic on tomorrow's podcast, as well as an article coming out later in the week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. Make sure you check out the Locked On Today podcast hosted by Peter Bukowski, covering everything in the wide world of sports. Probably a lot of Olympics talk, Shakari Richardson, all that stuff going on uh, nowadays on there. You can find that wherever you find your favorite podcasts. I will see you all tomorrow, and as always, Skull.